to the Let's Talk Eating Disorders podcast created by the Derbyshire Eating Disorders Service. The aim of this podcast is to provide information around eating disorders, offering hints, tips and busting myths. We will be joined by other clinicians within the service to discuss a different topic every episode. We may discuss some topics that may be upsetting or triggering to our listeners. If you feel that the topic may be difficult to listen to, feel free to skip the episode. Some episodes may involve previous service users to provide lived experiences. If you have accessed our service in the past and would like to be involved, please get in touch. We are always interested in your constructive comments or if there is a topic that you would like covering that we have not yet covered, please contact us at dhcft.eatingdisordersap at nhs.net. Hi everyone and welcome to the Occupational Therapists episode of the Let's Talk Eating Disorders podcast. Today joining us we have Emma Holmes and Kylie Conningham who are both occupational therapists at the Derbyshire Eating Disorder Service. And hosting the podcast today, as usual, we have Sean Lavelle, Shannon Edwards, Megan Birkinshaw and Rebecca Young, assistant psychologists at the service. So one of the first questions we wanted to ask you is, what is an occupational therapist? Oh, it's a million dollar question. Um, I think, broadly speaking, our role is to look at function and look at activity that can be used therapeutically. It's very wide ranging. So we do look at the whole person. We look at their physical and their mental health needs. And we look at what they might need to be able to do to function in their meaningful activities day to day, um, but also using activity therapeutically for them to be able to achieve whatever goals it is they want to in life. That's it in a nutshell. But it sounds kind of, yeah, it's quite so broad. It means something different for every single person we work with because it is so person centred. And I think, yeah, Kylie's completely right. I think we, we do consider those sort of tasks and occupations that are meaningful to each individual that we work with. And in terms of kind of our work within eating disorders, you know, we use those occupations to sort of try and help promote the individual's recovery and independence away from their eating disorder. Because often an eating disorder can compromise someone's engagement in those meaningful occupations, which can then affect their kind of occupational and self-identity as well. So it could be really, really valuable. Well, thanks for that. Um, I mean, you've kind of already answered this, but one thing I wanted to sort of touch on was why is it important to have an OT, especially within our service? I think a big part of it is, um, as Emma's already touched on, is that looking at somebody's functioning and their identity outside of an eating disorder because I think we we all know that sometimes an eating disorder can really take over not just their sort of physical and their mental health, but also their relationships their activities, whether it's social situations or maybe they're they're struggling to keep up with their studies or employment. And so I think it's really important for us to be able to work with people alongside the other therapies being offered in the team to look at that functional side of things and, and looking at supporting them to get back to the things they were doing before they became unwell. And also for those people who maybe have been poorly for a long time and maybe in their adolescence into adulthood, maybe it might even be about finding out who they are now because it may well have changed a lot since before they were poorly. I think it's also important to note that every professional within our team, every clinician brings something unique to the table in terms of the ways that we can support our service users. And I think because occupational therapy is so different in that we work through kind of that medium of occupation, we can sort of 
work with service users in a completely different way and it may sort of uncover opportunities for recovery that perhaps another professional doesn't. So I just think it can fit really, really well and that we bring everything together to best support someone's recovery. So you've said OT is really broad and it often you will use it to promote recovery away from the eating disorder. What kind of things do you offer? Like what activities are available to service users? I think that's a really tricky question to answer because of the fact it's such an individual thing. And I mean, one of the things we try and do quite early on in our sort of therapeutic process is, is actually establish what are they interested in? whether it is around the education and employment, whether it is more about leisure-based activities. So sometimes it could be more around goal setting and having conversations around that, but sometimes it might be more practical things. So it might be that we're actually going out with them shopping. We might actually be going into their homes and cooking with them. We might be, you know, engaging in a in a hobby or interest with them to kind of get them started, looking at community groups, you know, things that they might want to get involved in that they can, can then carry on beyond our team's involvement. Yeah, Kylie's completely right. It, it is, you know, it, it does kind of boil down to those that goal setting process. And, you know, we really want our service users to own their goals. And then we work with them to plan how we can help somebody to achieve those goals. And it might be that the activities and interventions that we offer are on a one-to-one basis. It might be that they're as part of a group setting as well. You know, we have run various groups and we're keen to sort of implement a rolling group programme, which will involve kind of a meal cookery group and potentially sort of a recovery focus group which would encompass lots of different components of occupational therapy which we think will be really really helpful. So how do you fit into the MDT as a whole? For example how do you differ from the other professions in the team? I think as Emma's already already sort of highlighted it's that focus on occupation and I think occupation is quite a misunderstood term because I think a lot of people get confused with occupational health or they think that we're there to occupy people or to help people to occupy themselves, which is not, you know, is is not what we're there for. And by occupation, we mean anything that's meaningful, purposeful activity. And I think because that's kind of what guides all of what we do, I think that's what makes us different. And obviously there is an overlap with other therapies offered within the team. And that's where we try and work really closely with other people who are working with the individuals we're working with to make sure we're all you know aligned and we're working together and if there is any overlap who's who's doing what you know you know and who's best placed and it might well be that sometimes because we're focused very much on the the doing it might be that maybe somebody's going through something in CPT that then we could then do the practical part of it the, the actual going out into the community and and actually putting that into practice Yeah, I agree with that too. I think while we are different from other professionals within our team, I think we complement each other really, really well as well. Kylie gave a really good example there, but another example is that we might work really closely with the dietitians when we're doing sort of some meal cookery support with a a service user, just to make sure that our service user feels really safe and supported in the approaches, the individual approaches that we all bring. But yeah, the team working component is really, really important. So the occupational therapy team has recently expanded within our service and you've now got two occupational therapy assistants. What is that role for and where do they fit in in terms of the occupational therapy team? So what would happen if somebody's referred to OT would be they'd see myself or Emma, we'd do our initial assessment and we'd, you know, find out what their initial goals are. The where the OT assistants would come in would be with supporting the next step of that in terms of what interventions are needed. So it might be, for example, somebody hasn't got any confidence in going out on the bus and they want to be able to go to college in the next town. 
it might be that then we we work with the person we obviously introduce them to the ot assistant and we then come up with a, a kind of graded plan of how the occupational therapy assistant will then go out with them week after week to kind of build up their skills and confidence um we'll often start that ball rolling so we'll often go and do that initial assessment and just so we've we've been able to do our more for, sort of the more formal side of of kind of assessing their functioning we've got a good overview of what that person needs and and where they're at with their their functioning then it may be that the the OT assistant would take them out and actually do the practical work to support somebody with that um sort of our our right hand people <laughs> yeah they they definitely are great thank you so yeah you just spoke a bit about how obviously you work with the other members in the team but how would then a service user actually access yourselves for occupational therapy um so at the moment, we don't we don't care coordinate. We wouldn't oversee someone's overall care. But what we do is, if somebody who is working um, as a care coordinator with somebody who often in our team that's the lead therapist for that person, if they think there's an occupational therapy need, or sometimes we've had people people who are being receiving our services as from the team flag up actually I've been in hospital and I've had an OT before and I'd really like to you know reconnect with an OT. They would then usually just send us an email and just let us know you know what 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 it is that the person's needing support with we then complete a screening just to sort of go through their needs and just get a, a broad idea of what what sorts of things they might need support with and then from there we'll then arrange an initial assessment with somebody to sit down with them and then we kind of go from there really with whatever the goals are that they want to work on and I guess if anyone's listening that perhaps isn't already known to our service, you know, my recommendation would be that if you feel occupational therapy could be a benefit to you, to approach your GP and talk to them about it and, and then they can make the appropriate referral from there. Brilliant. Thank you. So you mentioned about sort of assessing someone previously. How would you go about assessing someone for OT support? I think it very much depends on the person that we're working with and kind of where they're at of their recovery. If if they're going through a really tricky time, maybe they've just come out of hospital or they're in hospital, it might be that initially we're, we're just spending some time with them, getting to know them and just having that really informal contact. And it might be that we just start building up our assessment through through that. If we can, we, we, we'll sit down with somebody and actually have a, you know, have a conversation, a structured conversation around what their roles and routines are, what activities they like engaging in, um, their sort of motor skills, process skills, all, all the different things that they need to sort of function and just get that kind of snapshot of, of where they're at of their functioning and, and where they would like to be. But we can also do observational assessments as well. So it might be that we do that initially and then actually they, for example, haven't got any cooking skills. So it might be that they say, do you know what, I really need to need to learn some skills around this aside from the eating disorder. And actually, can we can we look at this? So we might then spend some time sort of just actually you know going into the kitchen with them and observing them cooking or or out shopping you know seeing them on public transport and then actually observing how they are and having a dialogue with them around what their difficulties are with that particular activity and then you know being able to then come up with a plan from that but ideally you'd kind of combine the two you'd have those conversations but you'd also observe their functioning as well and then again just keep that communication going it's entirely bespoke and, and kind of in consultation with those that we're working with our service users um, and these assessments can be really really helpful in terms of helping service users see the progress that they've made and kind of how far they've come so they're not just for our benefit for the benefit of our service users as well. 
Thank you for that. And just to add to it, really, are there any sort of common occupations or activities that service users typically aim for? I think that's a really tricky one um, because everybody we're working with is so different. All I can say is we're very much led by the individual. So I know often inevitably the conversation around eating and food and routines around that comes up in our sort of initial conversations. But if we're doing any interventions around that, it's always going to be when that person's ready to do that work and if they want to do that work, um, because we're mindful that the rest of the team are kind of focusing on on those things with them. So, yeah, I think it really does vary according to the individual, which sounds very, very woolly, but it it, it is true. It's it's really kind of hard to pin down, really. Yeah, it's it's so completely personal and kind of what would be meaningful to one person would be different for another person. So it, it is an endless list, really. It could include something like preparing for university and kind of all of the independent life skills connected to that. It could involve completing the food shopping for, for a family and then cooking the family meal. It could involve volunteering. So, so many things. And Carly and I are always all ears, really, to kind of what suggestions our service users can bring. I think the the other thing to note as well is because we are when we, when we do our training we trained in both physical and mental health and because we are looking at the whole person including their physical functioning if somebody does have issues with their home environment or their physical health we will sometimes then look at equipment for example we might look at their mobility around their home environment and and supporting them with accessing some equipment or making any referrals they need around the environment or their their physical health from that perspective so there's that side of things as well Great, thank you. So you spoke about things that are meaningful for the individual. How then would you go about supporting someone who was actually the opposite of that and felt more meaningless in their life? I think it can be really tricky. I think sometimes it's about starting small and it might just be finding just one thing, just one thing in their day that can create some meaning you know, whether it is a hobby or interest, whether it's it's having a chat with somebody they love or getting out for some fresh air, whatever it might be. So it might sometimes just be starting off small and kind of building up from that. And it might be going back to some of the skills that they need to build to do those activities. So it might be thinking around the sensory side of objects. It might be that actually initially they just need a, a bit of a think about what helps them feel calm and grounded and, you know, safe in their environment in order to build to then engage in activity <laughs> in the first place. Thank you. Yeah, it's definitely helpful to hear how you can sort of build that up. And I suppose that links nicely onto our next question, really, which is what is the most challenging part of your job? Oh, that's tricky. That's a, that is a tricky one. Um, I suppose sometimes it would be seeing what potential people have and then sometimes it's not the right time for them to kind of fulfil that. And sometimes that can be quite challenging because I think then you're not able to kind of fulfill your role as an OT as as well as you you would like to. Here's a really difficult um, question really mm. and I think for me I think it's similar to what Carly's mentioned I think I think as clinicians you always hold that hope for service users but due to their illness they can experience times where they struggle to hold that hope for themselves and I think it's quite poignant because often our service users can struggle to see past what their eating disorder tells them but Although that's hard for us to see as clinicians, I think we know that our service users can and do come through their eating disorders and these are really difficult times and that there is life beyond their eating disorder. It's just difficult at the time when they don't see that for themselves. So hopefully a bit of an easier one to answer. What's the best part of being an OT, especially within eating disorders? I think it is when you can see people, you know, fulfilling their goals and, you know, achieving 
you know what they're wanting to set out and sometimes that sometimes that can be something kind of obviously it's great if it's something we've directly done um sometimes it happens just by something something i've just said spur of the moment said or just something i've just mentioned to somebody and then a few weeks later they come back and they say oh i've always remembered what you said there and that that really helped but i think anything like that i think it's that making it that whole thing that we're all in health and social care professions for isn't it wanting to make a difference you know when you have those moments um in your in your practice i think that's when you kind of you know remember why you why you're there yeah, I agree. And I think I probably speak for all of the team when I say, you know, it's a complete privilege to be able to support our service users at the most vulnerable and knowing how difficult it might be to let us in and, and you know, to try and support them. And also to be there for those kind of magic mm. moments when things click mm. into place. You know, that's amazing. And, mm. you know, that's why I love my job. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. So finally, then, um, what would be your one takeaway message as an OT to anyone listening to this podcast? Um, I suppose that that recovery, you know, recovery is possible and that it can take many different forms. And and I think sometimes it's about trying different things out. And as we've said that, you know, because OT could be used alongside other therapies and sometimes if if what you're kind of struggling with is is more the kind of day to day sort of activities and the functioning side of things, then it may be worth having a conversation with your, you know, the, the therapist or care coordinator you're working with and seeing, you know, whether OT is something that might help support you through your recovery and help you build up your life outside of that eating disorder. Because I think that's often, you know, what we're trying to trying to do with people. Yeah, I don't think I can really add to that, really. But what I would say is if, you know, on that discussion with your care coordinator, if you do feel mutually that occupational therapy could be a benefit to you, but you're still not quite sure, your care coordinator can contact myself or Kylie and we're more than happy to chat to you mm -hmm. about what occupational therapy could look like for you and what it could support you with. You know, there's no commitment if you don't want to go there. But, you know, please do talk to us and we'll happily happily um, let you know what we can help with. Thank you, Kylie. Thank you, Emma. That was the OT episode of the Let's Talk Eating Disorders podcast. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>